Welcome to Watershed's January podcast and a happy new year to all our listeners and audience members. I hope you're looking forward to a thrilling year at the cinema. My name's Mark Cosgrove, cinema curator here at Watershed and joined by Steph Reed, who's Hello. the cinema assistant at Watershed. Happy new year, Steph. Thank you, you too. And yeah, it's, we're going to have a look at um, some of the films that are coming up um, over January, but maybe we'll be looking a bit further ahead as well. It's, uh, this is always a really great time of year in cinema, um, particularly for independent cinemas, because it's the awards season. Um, the Oscars race is well and truly underway. BAFTA is well and truly underway. Um, and a lot of the films that invariably come through for nominations are films that kind of feature prominently in our programme, which I'm very happy about, because you never really see a Marvel film. Released in February. <laughs> well, you never really see a Marvel film nominated for an Oscar. Therein lies a big debate. Um, but let's not go there for just now. Um, let's focus it's on a what's... different podcast. <laughs> that's a different podcast. We need to get Martin Scorsese along for that podcast. Um, I'll see if he's available at some point this year. But yeah, so we're going to look at, um, as I say, some of the films coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, first of all, though, I think we, we, we focus on Mark Jenkins' new film, Ennis Main, which we've got a preview of on the 7th of January, and then it opens quite quickly after that. Um, those of you, I'm sure, will remember uh, Mark's fantastic film, Bait, which was an incredible success for us here at Watershed. Uh, and really did really did pleasantly surprise me by us playing it for about 14 weeks. Um, and I always think about this black and white film about tourism and second home ownership in Cornwall, black and white Bolex film, and that artisanal way that he, ma he makes films, suddenly becoming this huge, huge success, winning awards, you know, doing fantastic business at the box office. Um, and he's still at it. He's still at his Bolex camera. Pushing it even further. Pushing it even further because in. this time it's colour. Uh, and he's also, I, I read an interview with him and he said um, the success of bait, he's managed to get himself a couple of lenses. So we get a telephoto lens as well. But no, I mean, it's 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 a really, um, I really enjoyed it. What did you think about it, Steph? What was your, you, you've seen it? I loved it. Yeah, I saw it at screening days. Um, I think already might be my favourite film of next year. I'm oh, calling it. You're, you've already come across your favourite film of 2023. Yep, and it's only the, just the new year. It's only just started. <laughs> Fantastic. I adored it. It it's kind of sits on that border of folk horror in a way that doesn't lean too heavily into it, um, mm. but still makes use of those kind of visual tropes and yeah. tension building. Because kind of. it, it follows a woman who is recording for... A wildlife trust yeah. um, recording a, a, a plant that only grows on this island off the coast of Cornwall. Of Cornwall. Yeah. And it, it it's it's set in the 70s, I th Yeah, I think, think so. It, yeah, it feels, I mean, it's definitely set in the past, but mm. it feels, yeah, set in the 70s. She's on this island on her own. Um, she goes out to record how the plant is is, is looking. It, it, she's, she's a small cottage. Uh, there's a radio um, yeah, old school radio, and then slowly, the, ru the routine begins to change. Yeah, yeah. 
And the whole way he plays with the sense of time and her memory as it wraps kind of up in yeah. her isolation on the island, yeah. I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it's that thing where um, it, it's the past. You feel it's the past that's coming, not necessarily to haunt, but certainly to mess with her mind. And it may well be happening, it may well not, but it's it's connected to... Um, it's connected to the, the geology, it's connected to the stones. The it kind of comes from the land and the landscape and, yeah. and the sea around as well in yeah. terms of the... And also the tin there's a tin mine there as well. Yeah. It's a kind of old industrial... And the so, so, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was great. I think you're absolutely right. He doesn't overdo it. You know, the, the folk horror, the kind of... You feel there's a very, um, there's a very 70s British... I mean, Wicker Man's the sort of mm. um, apex of that. Uh, that world um, but it's it's and it's got that sort of palette as well to it which is a kind of I think to do probably with the film stock that he's using but it does feel as though it's like in a 70s British independent horror-y folk horror mm. um, type film but he doesn't he doesn't overdo it it just drops in and it does get um, um, it, it, you know visually he's cutting he's, it, there's a lot of really interesting um, editing that he's doing in it that sort of creates this sense of unease and ambiguity, which I yeah. runs throughout. Yeah. Um, so we, we we both very much um, enjoyed that and delighted that Mark's going to be coming in and in, in conversation about the film. And obviously, he's let's say he's a local localish talent um, from Cornwall. And we, through the work that we do with the Film Hub, are supporting uh, Mark to and round with the film to a bunch of cinemas previews he's going to be in conversation with tara judah um here at watershed and uh, that'll be a brilliant that'll be a brilliant conversation and we're also doing followed, a season followed by a cornish folk inspired casual dj set in the bar afterwards of course to set the scene for your post cinema chats uh, I, I i forgot yeah we're doing we're, we're going to be having um friendly records courtesy of friendly records we're having yeah. some themed music uh, in the cafe barn I'm sure that'll be from vinyl as well mm -hmm. the soundtrack to Mark's films has actually been released by Invader yeah and features well. a track from Cornish folk artist Gweno yeah 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 and there's an accompanying season tell us about that Steph yeah we've programmed a season of films running on Sundays throughout January to kind of go with the release of this film and that touch on similar stories of well we've called it woman on the verge and I think with that we're trying to um, set the scene for the unraveling kind of that goes on in Ennis, Maine, in terms of a woman isolated on an island and the mental state that comes out of that. Um. Yeah, yeah, we're showing um, Bergman's persona mm. um, as part of this, which of course is on an island as well, and um, you know that was a big influence on Bergman. Is that whole the whole mm. isolation that an island um, obviously has, the elements that are all around, and then what it does to the psyche, you know, what it does to you as an individual and. Persona is one of those great um, films about that shape-shifting identity. And the bleeding across of two identities yeah. who are yeah, isolated yeah. in that yeah. way. And, and you're not quite sure. It's that uncertainty that mm. Mark's film um, draws on as well about what's real and what's not. And then also in that is uh, John Cassavetti's Women Are Under the Influence, which again is is about a woman who's kind of tipped over the edge in, in relation to the kind of male culture um, that, that she's which is its own kind of isolation yeah, um, but yeah. a domestic kind of setting rather than a yeah. and Cassavetti's always had um, really brilliant strong characters and of course mm. Gina Rowland's his partner in real life you know acting in the film and um, he, he was very aware I think of 
the sort of the kind of macho culture that was actually if when you, once you got under the surface wasn't actually macho mm. but 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 how women also dealt with that kind of you know the kind of male camaraderie um side of things um and then rebecca hitchcock's rebecca which i did think I, for some reason i did think of um rebecca watching ennis main and i don't know whether it, i'm i don't know whether i'm overstating it because of daphne de Maurice cornish <laughs> connection mark's obviously cornish but there is something about the cornish landscape the geography the geology which i'm sure influenced daphne de Maurice. And and with with Rebecca the book and famously made into a film by Alfred Hitchcock, I think his first um, actual American film, where Joan Fontaine is a young uh, woman travelling in Europe and meets um, the glamorous uh, Maxim de Winter, played by Laurence Olivier, who's been recently uh, widowed. They fall in love. She she marries, becomes. The second Mrs. De Winter, but of course Rebecca is the first Mrs. De Winter, and his huge presence is in the house, Manderley, that they go back to, and you never, you know, of course, um, Re Rebecca doesn't exist as a character in the film, but exists as a character around the film. Joan Fontaine's character through the the mysterious housekeeper Mrs. Danvers becomes more and more kind of pushed towards becoming like Rebecca. And then, of course, loses identity and loses sense of of her her own self, and is caught up in this psychodrama a bit in the way that an NS main, you know, the, the the main character is caught up in her own um, loss of identity, I guess, in some way. In that case, through a routine, I would say, in some sense, yeah. which also links in with the other film that we're showing as part of the season. Yes, which I'm really excited about um, showing. Um, and when we talked about this title, Steph, it was before yeah. it became number one in Sight and Sound's Decade Poll, which is Chantel Ackerman's Jean Dielman. Um, we, we, we talked about this and as we were putting that season together with uh, uh, On NS Main, we, we talked about Chantelle Ackerman's film. I started going through the process of booking it because, of course, it, it's a film that was influential to Mark. Mm. Mark's uh, Mark Jenkins is is programmed that as part of a kind of DNA of NS Main season that he's doing at the BFI South Bank, and Jan Dielman was was one of them. Um, and we've used that as part of our season because it's about exploring repetition, mm. but in a very in a very uh, undramatic, patient way. Patient, a very patient <laughs> way, in a very and and it's famously, you know, a, a a woman who is shown in a very, in quotes, mundane or repetitive, domestic uh, environment. Mm. But there's more to it than that. So it's a, I, I think it's a really lovely sort of companion piece to Ennis Main, which you can see on the eighth of January. Which you can <laughs> on see the on the big screen. <laughs> the 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 sight and sounds number one decade poll film which has knocked Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock off the top perch and Chantelle Ackerman is now sat there above the the, the heap with Jan Dielman <laughs> um, which which will be screening as part of the season so that's um, that's Ennis Main an accompanying um, season uh, and then also coming up is a film that I, I really love uh, which is Steven Spielberg's The Fablements you, you weren't 
as big a fan of it or uh, less of a fan than you less, i think yeah yeah i i tend to find spielberg a little i i i'm not a fan of spielberg at all. <laughs> i mean sorry uh, all those people that are a big fan i'm sure he, i mean i completely admire his his work and you, you know love some of his films jaws absolutely fantastic um in his er earlier films but he i've always found i've since uh, i don't know jurassic park all those kinds mm. of films I've, i just find them emotionally inert even well, ET, i just find them a little overtly like syrupy and well that's what i mean so i, don't, I can't connect with them emotionally because yeah. i feel as though it's pressing my buttons yeah, and you know, with, with it's trying with, too hard to elicit with, that kind e of emotional with reaction. ET, yeah, it's 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 sort of like trying to. And he, but the thing is, he does it so bloody successfully. Yeah. But I'm I'm that you know, um, grumpy. Oh, stop trying to manipulate me. Stop <laughs> trying to make me cry. Stop trying to make me. You know, meanwhile everybody else is in tears with ET or <laughs> you know whatever. And and of course, I mean, you know, the the some of the films, um, you know, like Schindler's List, about um, you know, really quite. Uh, um, profound subject matter as he kind of went on exploring his Jewish roots but even then I, I, I still found the way in which that kind of language of Hollywood I just found it so manipulative mm. anyway I, I watched <laughs> The Fablemans and because it's because it's a film it's a film about him um, in a way it's, it, I mean it's a year later we, from Belfast where, where Kenneth Branagh made, made a, a sort of film about his childhood. I think, you know, directors of a certain age are kind of going back Looking into that. And I think probably COVID still being part of that where people are sort of... An enforced period of reflection. Yeah, right? and so they're, they're going back into the, the, themselves. But I think he's he's actually sort of, for me, he's finally engaged with emo his emotion. So rather than putting his emotion into a dinosaur... And displacing it or, into or, 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 a, or a shark or, a, you know, or, or whatever, he's actually dealt with his own emotion which is you know it's a film about his childhood and his um you know what was quite a, a um kind of traumatic in the sense that his his it seemed to be quite a kind of cozy comfortable suburban middle class life um that was heading in that aspirational way but his his mother um left he uh, left his father his younger uh, sisters didn't know what was going on. He was the kind of pivot. He knew what was going on, and so he's 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 kind of told this um, his own story, but it's also it's a it's about him learning to his love of cinema, learning his love of cinema. So it's a film about real emotions, but also a film about his it's like filmmaking roots. His other. filmmaking roots, which is is for some you know for for me. It, it, there was just a kind of brilliant, um, that brilliant way in which cinema kind of connects with yourself when you're at a particular stage, when you're growing up, and it, but it, it's how you then make sense of the world. And of course, cinema for him allowed him to sort of both develop a career but also make sense of the world. Mm. And and of course, it, it takes it it takes him through until he gets to um, his first uh, sort of letter from the studios to say does he want to come in and let's come in and have a chat mm. and he, he he would then go on to direct episodes of Columbo and you know various TV stuff but I, I I just thought and, and it is such a brilliant ending that people probably know by now um what what happens but in terms of that 
um, when he meets um, John Ford. But what you get is this is the guy that changed everything. Actually, mm. you know, Spielberg is the guy who changed the face of Hollywood. The face of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 changed everything. So it's not like it's a kind of, it's not like it's a fantasy. Mm. It's it's, and I'm saying that because I've I've heard criticism of it about oh. It, it is said, or that wasn't how he, what his parents were like, or this. Yeah, this is Twitter people saying say, his parents. He got miscast as his own parents. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, you know, Michelle Williams, who I think is brilliant, absolutely brilliant in this film, uh, and Paul uh, Dano, hmm. uh, he's been criticised for oh they're not good yeah. enough. I don't know. There's been weird criticism, and I just think, hang on a minute, this is Steven Spielberg, this <laughs> making a story of his own life. Mm. Being told off that he's got it wrong, that he's got it, he's got it wrong. So no, I, 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 I well, as you can tell, I liked it a lot, and also because, you, you, you know, the, the way, in, the way in which he wants to put films together that he's just seen. So the opening when he sees the Cecil B. DeMille film, mm. um, and and you get in his both his parents, the, the father's a scientist, me mechanical engineer scientist, his mother's an artist. A, you know, repressed, but you know, as an artist with great artistic um, aspirations, and so what you get is him being explained that films are a mechanical process, and they're also about it, emotion, mm. and that's that's exactly what he does. Too. He tries to reconstruct, you know, the the Cecil B. DeMille film. You see somebody, and it's also about talking about Mark Jenkins and Ernest Main and Mark's preoccupation with working with film, the actual medium of film. What you see is is Spielberg getting this medium and and being able to you know how do you cut it how do you make it how do you make the train crash you know mm. I mean how do you what are the edit how do you do and it's a physical thing and there's also important parts of that which are about showing his mother the um, holiday footage and stuff like that so this medium of film and I mean Super Eight sixteen thirty five you sort of I sort of can't, I sort of think. I mean, I know you can think nostalgia or whatever, but it's a very physical thing, whereas with digital, I just wonder... Anyway, that's for another podcast. <laughs> Ken Loach on for that one. <laughs> Ken Loach on it, yeah. But no, I, I did, and I loved it as a celebration of cinema. I know you're not allowed to, apparently in some critical circles, you're not allowed to say a love letter to cinema anymore. There are too many of them. There are too <laughs> many of them. We need letters to cinema at this <laughs> point. Well, talking of which, we've also got Empire of Light. Um, which is Sam Mendes's, which does fall into the love letter category, which falls into the love letter, um, which is 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 shot by um, Roger Deakins in the south coast uh, of Britain, um, and is set in the nineteen eighties. Kind of, if people remember that period, and I do, it was the death of cinema, <laughs> the decline of cinema rather. Um, the death is always overstated, but it was a decline of the high street cinema. And it is set around this cinema that's just on the edge of, you know, um, existence, really, run by Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman's the sort of um, manager of the building. And it, it's a, it, it actually covers a number of themes of, of, uh, of the time, which is the kind of rise of racism is, is in there, but also, interestingly, mental health through the Olivia Coleman character. But again, how cinema binds everything mm. and it kind of tells stories and people can discover themselves or find out more about themselves through, through, the through cinema. Screen. So it's kind of, you know, got that. But it looks absolutely brilliant because, of course, it's um, it's the great cinematographer, Roger Deakins, mm. that's, that's filmed it. 
And as part of that, it's great that we've been given a 35 millimeter print. So we'll be showing some of the screenings on 35 millimeter. Kind of urge you to, well, actually what you, sh what, what you should do is have a it's look at both. the 35 mil <laughs> and then have a look at the, the digital one and compare and contrast and let us know if you, um, if you, um, if if how one compares to the other, that'd be an interesting experiment to mm. to do. Um, so two films then about cinema um, opening this month, and then also a film that I know we both saw at screening days. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is Laura Poitras' new film um, about Nan Golden and her activism with pain or prescription addiction intervention now, um, and that activism. The, and their activism um, to get the Sackler name removed from cultural institutions um, across principally America, but also spreading out over to UK and other parts of the world, including the, the tape. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I heard about this because it won the Venice Film Festival last year. And it was great because the documentary has you know, mm. won, a, won a, one of these big festivals. Because obviously, um, a lot of the time documentaries are kind of relegated in a way when it comes to festivals like Cannes, Venice, etc., Berlin. Um, but here's a documentary that won, and I thought, oh, it's about Nan Golden's, because it had been in the press about her activism, as you say, around mm. the Sackler family, the Sackler family, a, lo a lot of patronage for the arts, Sackler wings of Museum Modern Art, um, etc., putting a lot of money into it. But on the other side, heading up a pharmaceutical company that had spread a that it was, was responsible, responsible in some key sense for, for the yeah, opioid crisis, for opioid crisis in, in the states for the past twenty years, and Nan Golden got addicted to these opioids because she was ill and it's pain relief, but immediately got got addicted and then realised. Uh, what was going on. So these two worlds collided with her, which is the art world that she was very much celebrated in. Mm. And then, um, the, as you say, the, the pharmaceutical uh, opioid scandal side. So I was expecting the documentary to be solely about that. Same. And I was yeah. really pleasantly surprised and that it turned out to be, or I would say so much more than that in terms of how it ties in her own kind of biographical yeah. element and a journey through her life before yeah. all you know her um, involvement in this kind yeah. of so so you get a, you, you get a really um, vivid because Nan Golden's obviously given herself over to this. Apparently, mm. her and the director spent a long time. It was during COVID again. Spent a lot long time um, just together talking about the subject and and then you know filming uh, um, the director was, was filming Nan Golden conversation. I think and she, so she it's very revelatory. She's very uh, open about. Um, yeah, her her um, childhood, which was really uh, sort of dysfunctional, um, traumatic because her older sister committed suicide, um, and she goes back into that to to find out, you know, what what it was that was the sort of cause of this, or mm. what the roots were. And then, of course, her parents are still alive at that point as well when she was making the documentary. So there's a kind of uh, reckoning with her parents, which mm. is really emotional. Um, I, I, I thought in the film but then also of course Nan Golden went on to be a kind of huge well, not huge but you know I mean a kind of central figure of that New York post-punk 
scene, scene yeah. bohemian scene of you know low 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 rent living in the kind of lower east side CBGBs all and of that and the queer scene yeah all well, the, yeah I mean and so it was and what I what I sort of found about it was that she found her tribe mm. at that moment which was that mixture of you, you know the queer scene trans um, sex workers you know artists the whole sort of community which then of course um, was hit severely by the AIDS mm. epidemic. So she sort of dealt with that, but it was her work was this incredible honesty in her slideshows that she, she put together. And then spill forward to her making this documentary. And it's the same kind of incredible honesty coming through, yeah, just in a different form. Yeah, and she's also met, she's also <laughs> met this other tribe, mm. which is all these people who have survived the opioid uh, crisis, have come through it and, and want to take action to sort it out and she's got the, and she's kind of there at the forefront spearheading, spearheading this kind of disinvestment kind of, got, yeah. reckoning in a different sense and some of the activism was just brilliant i thought it really inspired like you know dropping those plastic pill bottles pill bottles yeah. into the the, 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 fountain, the fountains at the what was it the at moma or something yeah i think so yeah and then the the leaflets um yeah, the prescriptions written the prescri out, yeah, prescriptions from, from balconies and, and it's an amazing um and it, it made me think of, you know, the people that are throwing tins of soup at the oil paintings. Mm. And that it's it that what you what you have is that art art galleries, public art spaces are becoming real sites of political action. Yeah, political action, <clears throat> art activism and and so it's it, it, yeah, I, I thought it was as I say, I thought it was only going to be about that, but actually it's a much wider and richer film, I think. It's as much a portrait of her, yeah. I would say, as it is of that kind of cultural yeah. activist moment. Yeah, and and we're hoping to, uh, as we record this, mm. we're hoping to have some events around all the beauty and the bloodshed. To have a kind of discussion around the idea of the gallery or the public art institution yeah. as a site of, you know, activism and political yeah. debate. Yeah. So a real range of different kinds of films, celebrations of cinema, um, art and activism that's happening over this month. We haven't even mentioned the great, um, really lovely Spanish film, Arcares, which opens at the beginning of the month. Um, fantastic film about a kind of family farm um, that's been working for years um, that has to sort of face up to sort of mod the modernisation that's going on around it. But... Such a kind of, I thought it was just such a wonderful portrait of that kind of life in Catalan uh, in Spain. And then there's also further ahead, um, Joyland's coming up in February, which is the Pakistani film that's uh, um, that was praised and then it was banned in Pakistan and then it was unbanned. And it's about a trans um, character and really interesting uh, representations, positive representations um, happening in Joyland. So lots of films, um, lots of good stuff coming up and I hope that you can get along to as much as possible. If you go to watershed.co.uk you can find out more about what is happening and I just say thank you very much Steph. Um, thanks Mark. <laughs>